What's up? It's Granger Smith. This is the Granger Smith Podcast, episode 1515. Thank you all for caring enough to listen to me on a podcast. I put out episode 14 in October, and for those of you keeping score, it is January 19th. And that's been a long time, so I'm sorry. I've had a lot of people telling me and meet and greets when I, when I talk to them saying, when's your next podcast? And in my defense, a lot has gone on uh, since the last podcast. I have, you know, of course, the, the uh, holiday season. Um, I had a documentary that came out called They Were There, which I'm very proud of. And we've been making some new music which I'm, I'm so excited to play you guys very soon. Can't do it today, but uh, very soon. But I do have some loose ends to tie up on that last episode 14. I have to finish that story. I have to talk about the current tour that I'm on. I have to talk about what I think 2019 is going to bring to you from me. Here we go. I'm in Norman, Oklahoma today. It is a Saturday um, in the parking lot. I'm in the back of my bus, Wildflower And it is really cold. It's like 19 degrees outside, which is cold for a Central Texas boy. Uh, We are at the University of Oklahoma, and uh, we're playing in the basketball arena on the Kane Brown Live Forever Tour. And this is, for me right now, um, the end of the second week of this tour. And uh, I'll tell you what, this has been uh, a really, really good tour for me. I have theories on on why it's so good, and and, uh, fan-wise, this has been the loudest. Compared to uh, Florida Georgia Line tour that I was on two years ago, and then last year the Luke Bryan tour, uh, this has been the loudest fans, uh, the most accepting, um, the most people in their seats when I start. I'm talking sold out, everyone in their seat. That's a testament to Yee Yee Nation. That's also a a testament to Kane Brown fans that don't know me that hopefully do now. Um, What a blast this has been. Let me talk about this documentary. It's called They Were There, a Heroes Documentary. And I've taken a lot of time uh, to make this documentary. It took about three years. And the concept of it goes way beyond that. It goes back all the way to 2007 when I took my first entertainment tour in Iraq. After coming back from that tour... I was so motivated. I wanted to go to Iraq and play music, and I think I've talked about this in a, in a previous podcast, but I wanted to bring a little piece of home to the soldiers to tell them thank you uh, for allowing me to play music. But what I got out of it was so much more. What, what I got was this, this vision of, of who these men and women are, what they're doing 24-7, no breaks, no holidays. The sacrifice became real to me. When I saw it over there in the desert. So I came back and immediately wanted to go and go back to Iraq again. So I I went back two more times. I went back twice in 2008. Uh, One of those was a Christmas and New Year's. When I got home to Texas after that third trip to Iraq, I was motivated to bring that feeling that I had that was an addicting feeling to help out the cause to say thank you to these men and women. And I wanted other civilians to feel that same thing that I had. So I decided on a whim, you know, one crazy day that I was going to walk 100 miles in combat boots over the course of five days from South Austin up to Fort Hood, Texas. 
I had never done anything like this. It just, it, you know, I just thought, you know, I can, we'll walk a hundred miles and I'll, I'll create awareness and morale and patriotism and say thank you and raise some money for a charity called Boot Campaign for returning soldiers, re-entering civilian life. That was so fun. That, that first boot walk, um, we had so many volunteers that came out and walked with me. Um, we camped on the side of the road. Uh, it went along, along with a song that I had called Sleeping on the Interstate at the time. And that led to year two. That year led to year three and year four. I did that four years in a row where I walked 100 miles from South Austin up to Fort Hood. But after the fourth time, I lost my dad. He died of a heart attack in, in March 2014. And it changed my perspective on a lot of things. Um, it, it changed the way I looked at heroes because my dad was my hero. And when he died, I felt like that that would die along with him, that, that what made him a hero would be lost. And, and I wanted to retell that story. And I realized that I really couldn't. And I wanted to tell everybody, the whole world, uh, what he meant to me. It was through that grieving process that really opened my eyes to fallen soldiers, the heroes that they were, and that if I felt like that about my dad, who was my hero, how should we feel as Americans about soldiers, fallen soldiers that died volunteering to protect our freedom, to allow us to live the American dream? How do those families feel that have lost that soldier? Forgotten? Lost? Unable to tell the world who this man or, or woman was? Probably, yeah. That was the perspective I, I had. And so I thought, you know what? This 100-mile walk that I've done for four years needs to change a little bit. I want to, I want to honor soldiers. And you know, my first thought was to honor 100 fallen soldiers, one per mile. And I was talking to one of my friends, a wounded warrior himself named Joey Jones. And I was, I was excited. I said, I'm going to honor 100 soldiers and walk 100 miles. And, and each mile marker will represent uh, one soldier. And he said, man, I, I appreciate your, your inspiration. Um, but let me be honest with you. I think you would be better suited to represent five soldiers, one each day. That way you could, you could really concentrate on, on who they were, um, the lives that they lived, and spend an entire day um, talking about this soldier. Yeah, he was right. That was a great idea. Um, and, and so what I wanted to do was not know anything about a soldier and learn about them during the course of the day. So the, the families would send me a, a care package, letters, um, anything that I needed to know about this soldier that would would let me understand more about the hero that they were, the lives that they lived, the hometowns, the mothers, the wives, the families, the brothers, the friends. And, uh, and that's what we did. I decided to go to West Texas, Big Bend National Park, a place I had never been as a Texan. Um, went out there and, and picked five days and walked about the, the, still the equivalent of 100 miles, uh, even though it was more of a hike. And it was a religious experience for me. It was unbelievable. And we filmed a documentary. This all started when I went to social media and asked for Gold Star families to, 
submit their stories. And we got over 300 submissions of fallen soldiers, and we had to go through and pick five, which was difficult. And, and it wasn't like we went and picked the most dramatic, craziest stories. Uh, we decided to pick five stories that represented the whole that represented the greater group, which was very difficult. It was including one suicide. It was very appropriate to add a suicide to this, to this list because that's, that's a, uh, a big part of fallen soldiers today with PTSD. And so we, we took these names, and I stayed away from anything beyond the name until that day in Big Ben. I'd wake up. I would call the... Uh, the family, sometimes it was a wife, sometimes it was a, a father, a mother, and I would FaceTime them and I would just tell them um, how excited I was to start the day um, and, and that this day would be all about their son or husband. And I learned, as the viewer learned, just who they were. And I, I, I'm so proud of this film. I, I hope that um, a lot of y'all have watched it. If you haven't, I also made this as easy as possible to watch. It's not subscription-based. You don't have to pay for it. You, you don't have to do anything but go to YouTube and search Granger Smith, They Were There, a hero's documentary. It's for free. And, and I wanted it to be like that. I wanted it to be where everyone, if they wanted to check this out, it's about 45 minutes long. I wanted you to go and, and be able to, on your own time, on your own couch, at, at, at your own house to to go to YouTube and check this out. And I, I encourage you to to watch three or four minutes. And I hope that if you just dedicate three or four minutes to it, then you're going to get sucked into it and ended up watching the the entire film. Um, and then let me know what you think. It's a uh, it's very, very important project to me. I've been playing the theme song uh, called They Were There that I wrote with some of my great friends, including Mitchell Timpenny, an awesome artist himself. I've been playing that song live on this Came Round tour. And uh, last night, when we played it in Memphis, it just kind of brought the house down. It was just crazy. Everyone lifting up their phones and the lights on their phones. And um, It's a powerful song with a different message than any other soldier song, because this is from the civilian perspective. This is a song about... While we were here, living our lives, doing these mundane things, all the while, there are people over there, right now, paying for this freedom. Here's a song called They Were There. We were here, blowing out birthday cakes. Riding our bikes, jumping in lakes Feeling butterflies on our first dates And stealing our old man's beer We were here back home in the home of the brave But the brave ain't home, they're an ocean away Doing their job and keeping us safe While we were here They were there, fighting back on the front lines Strapping up their boots before the sunrise Keeping their mamas up all night in fear Of the last name that was passed down Every day, every night, every moment we were here They were there They were there We were here singing the Pledge of Allegiance Repeating those words 
taking for granted all our freedoms in the land of the free. We were here bitching about minimum wage, splitting ourselves into red and blue states. We still sat down, hot food on the plate. Yeah, while we were here, they were there fighting back on the front lines, wrapping up their boots before the sunrise, keeping their mamas up all night in fear. Yeah, they were there. Some came home in a pine wood box with those stars and stripes on top. They were there fighting back on the front lines, wrapping up their boots before the sunrise, keeping their mamas up all night in fear. They were there in the name of a hometown, of a last name that was passed down every day. this full documentary on YouTube. Just search They Were There, Granger Smith. I hope you like it, and please give me your feedback. It's important to me. Hey, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to help, if you want to hear more of these, then I'll tell you exactly how you could help me. Tell your friends about it. And uh, go on whatever streaming device you're using. Give it a good rating. That helps me. This podcast is brought to you by Yee Yee Energy. That's my official, unofficial energy drink. Um, I'm actually drinking one right now, and I will be tonight before the show. As I always like to point out, this is an energy drink that my brothers and I made from scratch. We took uh, several different recipes, and we kind of decided the best one for us that, that we liked. Actually, people were asking me last night, "Was it taste like Red Bull or Monster? And I said... It's not tangy like Red Bull, and it's not as fruity as Monster. I like to think that it's just right. The Goldilocks drink. Check it out at yeeyeenergy.com or Amazon Prime. At the end of episode 14, and by the way, I'm still kind of telling my story of where I came from and how I got to where I am now, and it's collectively through all these past episodes. So if you're brand new to this podcast and you're just starting right now with episode 15, um, you might have to catch up just a little bit uh, because at the end of episode 14, the timeline of the story I was telling was in about 2011. And I was talking about how I put out a record called Poets and Prisoners. I was very proud of it. Um, I still love that album. It, it's it's still such a, a timepiece for me at the time and where I was in my life, as all my albums are. But that that particular one wasn't doing great. It wasn't getting um, a lot of attention. I think people liked it, but they but they did not a lot of people knew about it, and no one really bought it, and no one was 
coming to the shows. It wasn't translating to ticket sales. And all that was about to change with one show. And that's how I ended episode 14 was saying that. And that is true. Now, three things were about to happen for me in this 2011 window. These are three major things that started moving my career at a rapid pace. Number one, I recorded a live record. It was in College Station, Texas, at one of my favorite old historic bars called the Dixie Chicken. I decided to call it Live at the Chicken. I was so nervous about this because you only get one chance. But I had my entire band travel with me to a hotel in the middle of nowhere the night before just so that they wouldn't go party too hard and be too hungover to play a good record. <laughs> it might have been overkill, but they did really good. And I was really proud of how this record turned out. I mean, we brought all this gear and recording stuff into this little bitty wooden bar and packed it out with some of our best fans that knew exactly what we were doing that day and uh, just have a really good memory and, uh, and, and an album to show for it. And still, to this day, it's the only live album I've ever done. I didn't know it then, but that album, Live at the Chicken, that kind of marks the end of an era for me because... Things were changing rapidly for me. I was writing songs. I, as I talked about in, at the end of episode 14, I had talked to a couple of indie rock record labels that wanted to sign me. And when I, when I really thought about everything and, and kind of dove into where I was in my career, I realized I, I could possibly be on a, a misleading path. I was a country artist. I loved country music, and that's what I wanted to do. And so it was time to solidify myself as a country music artist without a shadow of a doubt, to make sure that my music and my lyrics screamed country, because <laughs> that's who I was. And I could pinpoint the exact time when all of that became very real to me in my head. See, because I, I was at a place when I was ready to write songs, I was ready for a new album, I was ready for uh, the, the Granger that was going to bust through that was going to finally have a lot of fans. And so I was in that mindset, and we played this show, a private party. It was in the middle of nowhere. The, the closest town was Bastrop, Texas, but it was still about 50 miles from Bastrop. And it was this tiny dance hall that was used only for private parties. And there was no bars, there was no honky-tonks, there was no dance halls open to the public anywhere near this place. And during the party, one of these one of these guys was talking to me, and I said, "Man, what do you around here? What do you guys do for fun? What do you? I mean, where do you go?" And I'm thinking, "Where do you go drink beer? You know, where do you where do you go dance with the girls?" And it 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 shows. It just shows that I had been touring so long in this van and trailer. I'd been beating up this honky tonk circuit that I had forgotten my roots. I had forgotten what I did in high school. I'd forgotten what I did in college. All I knew was where I was currently playing, and that was so ingrained in my mind. This guy looked at me like I was crazy, and he said, where do we go? We do it in a field.
Don't tailgate in a parking lot We bumped down dirt roads and jacked up trucks Far from the bars and smoky nightclubs We do it in a field Rocking all night till the sun comes up We got a hundred blue cans Sitting on ice in the back of my truck And George Strait blaring in a Chevrolet We open up the doors wide and let it play We A few days after that conversation, I wrote, we do it in a field. And to whoever, whoever that was that I talked to that day, you, sir, saved my life. And, and, you know, in this business, in this career, it has taken several times. There's many times like this in my life where I needed to get hit in the head with a hammer to remember just what the hell I'm supposed to be doing. Because as all of us in all of our lives, we can get so micro-focused on what we think is right. And as they say, you could start climbing the ladder. And then once you get to the top, you realize the ladder was leaning on the wrong building. That's kind of what I was doing. So thank you, buddy, for clocking me in the head. I needed that one. Are we doing it in a field ended up being the exact identity that I was stepping into. And it would soon be the lead single off of a brand new project of mine. So all I had was this song and so many of the other songs off of what would become Dirt Road Driveway kind of started falling into my lap. I was, I was writing them. And in the meantime, as I was kind of recording and getting ready, Tyler and I, my brother, who's my manager, still is, uh, still the best manager in country music. Or he, he might get mad if I say that. The best manager in music, he would probably prefer. But we were, we were going over ways to to launch uh, the new me, the, 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 you know, the, how do we launch outside of our small, tiny region that we're living in? How do we become more than just poets and prisoners? How do we reach people? And so we had a vision of going viral on YouTube and not, you know, no one wanted to see me sit there and talk on YouTube. So uh, we wanted to do some serious stuff. Some of the stuff from, from Bootwalk in Iraq, uh, some music videos, and some funny videos. And a lot of the, the funny videos, although it's me as, you know, in the video, it's Tyler uh, with the vision. And what's unique about some of these funny videos that we started doing uh, was that they, if you notice, they don't play any music at all. It's just, it's a, some kind of silly skit. And at the end, it just tags really quick, grangersmith.com. So that if it goes viral and, and it spreads, then people would uh, ultimately say, that's kind of funny. Well, is there more? Oh, there's a website. Click on that. Oh, it's a musician and he sings songs. <laughs> and hopefully that you like them. You know, that was the goal. And we set our sights on one million views. That was so far than uh, past anything we'd ever done. We'd put out a lot of videos up until this point, but nothing even close to a million. But that was the goal. We knew it was going to take one million views on YouTube to make a dent remotely and, and to even think about going back and relating to the music. So that's what we wanted. And that's what we dug our heels into. And if you, if you search YouTube for me, you could find all kinds of old videos like Live with Lionel. That was a really funny one. I thought that was really funny. Um, he's a, a super awkward interview guy, and it didn't get it didn't get a whole lot of ex exposure. We had um, a Mexican restaurant owner named Freddie, 
And I loved Freddie. I still love Freddie. I think he's an absolute rock star. Um, I actually think we're going to see more from Freddie in the future. Um, but he didn't get a lot of views. We had Don't Touch the Turtles, which is this, <laughs> this uh, old redneck guy that has an affinity for saving sea turtles. Um, we like that one. I thought that was funny. Once again, didn't get that many views. And we had Cribs. We had an episode of, of Cribs where I'm in this old broke down house. And um, that one did pretty good, actually. That, that didn't get close to a million. I think it, might, it has over a million now. Uh, but back then, it was kind of another slow growth video. All this was leading into what you guys are probably thinking. Yes, what you're thinking is right. I didn't know it. But during this time, during this experimental time, filming a lot of videos, usually Tyler would be on the camera and I would take the footage and go back on my little laptop and edit all these by myself. I was barreling towards a huge career explosion. Uh, things, I mean, that, that might be an understatement because things absolutely blew up for me because of what we were about to do. And as far as I know, it, it was such a simple idea. As far as I know, it was just a voice that I had. I had talked in this voice. Tyler called it the country guy. <laughs> and he represented some family members of mine, distant cousins. Um, we had some friends that talked like this. We interacted with bar owners in the honky-tonk circuit that were like this guy. And he was kind of a combination of all of them put together. But what he became and what we shot that day out there at my parents' place in Central Texas changed everything for me. In fact, it's probably the reason you're listening to this podcast is because somewhere along the line, the chain reaction started with this video. It's crazy. All right, don't get mad at me. You're going to get mad at me. But I'm going to end the podcast here because this next episode episode 16 has a lot of information and I want to dedicate the whole thing to it because it was a part of my career that I like to call an intentional accident. We knew exactly what we were doing. We wanted a million views on YouTube. We knew exactly how to do that. We just didn't know that this was going to be the way that did it. And I'll tell you all about it next episode. Yeah, yeah. It happens like that. Out of the blue sky, lost in her blue eyes. Yeah, when it happens like that. Nothing to lose turns right into you Doing all you can do just to keep her around Till the moon goes down and you're back at your house One thing leads to another you loving each other When looking you never look back It happens like that Thanks for listening. If you want to support me or any other artist, the best way is to see us on tour. Go to grangersmith.com backslash tour. See you down the road.